Hi, I'm Dr. Rebecca May, and this is Arcana Advances. Follow along as we explore all renal research happenings at Arcana Laboratories. Hello, welcome to Arcana Advances, where we discuss exciting new research in renal pathology performed by our very own physicians. I'm Dr. Rebecca May, and today we have Dr. Z, who will be discussing his recent article in Kidney International Reports titled, Anti-Brush Border Antibody Disease, Anti-LRP2 Nephropathy, Associated with Lupus Nephritis. And thank you for joining us, Dr. Z. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So first, this is a rare disease. So can you tell us what anti-brush border antibody disease is? Sure. So it's essentially an extremely rare autoimmune disease targeted against a protein that's present on the apical brush border of the proximal tubules of the kidney. And the protein is called LRP2 megalin, and it's a massive 520 kilodalton um, endocytic receptor whose main function is to basically to reuptake at least 30 substances, more than 30 substances actually, um, in the proximal tubule. And this ranges from vitamin binding proteins to enzymes to um, ions, all sorts of things. So it's basically an autoimmune disease against uh, this portion of the tubule. And what patients do you normally see it? What's the patient population affected? This is all based on a case series uh, published by our boss, Dr. Larson, and it's a small case series of about a dozen patients, and it appears to mostly affect elderly folks. The range in that manuscript, the age range was 66 to 83, mm-hmm. with the mean being 73, so it appears to affect uh, mostly elderly folks. Okay, and how do they present clinically? Right, so they present completely non-specifically. It's essentially a progressive form of acute tubular injury. So these folks will present with worsening renal function, which of course is, you know, relatively common in the elderly population. So I think most of them are probably not biopsied, mm-hmm. um, you know, due to polypharmacy, et cetera. So most of these uh, acute tubular injuries in elderly patients are typically ascribed to medications. And then when that doesn't work out, ultimately they end up doing a kidney biopsy. And what do the findings look like on kidney biopsy? Yeah, so the light microscopy is entirely nonspecific, once again, similar to the clinical findings. So uh, we essentially have a severe form of acute tubular injury uh, on light microscopy without an interstitial nephritis. So all you're seeing is acute tubular injury on a background of variable degrees of scarring based on other comorbidities that are happening. Uh, But really, it's the immunofluorescence is how this is diagnosed. Um, On immunofluorescence, we have three findings, um, and they're not all the same from patient to patient. So um, all the patients will have granular TBM deposits for IgG, kappa, and lambda, and that's that's a big hint. 50% of patients will actually have staining of the apical brush border of the mm-hmm. tubules that you can identify by IgG, but that's only half of patients. Um, and then the um, majority of patients will also have segmental subepithelial staining along the glomerular capillary loops. It's essentially a segmental membranous glomerulopathy. And then um, most patients also have Bowman's capsule granular staining. Do these patients have proteinuria then? They do. They have variable proteinuria that goes along with the acute tubular injury. I think it's presumed to be mostly due to tubular proteinuria mm-hmm. and you know, a probably lesser component of this, of this associated segmental membranous. Okay. So in this paper, this is a case report. So can you tell me about how the patient in this, in this study presented? 
Right. So this was an extremely unusual case of this disease for a number of reasons. So uh, first of all, the patient presented, it was a 55-year-old man who presented with a range of autoimmune symptoms, uh, in particular pericarditis. Um, and his autoimmune serologies were positive, and he eventually met the diagnostic criteria for systemic lupus. Mm. Um, and he had AKI as well as quite significant nephrotic range proteinuria. I think it was about 5 grams, 5.7 grams via UPCR. Mm. Um, and AKI, um, I believe his serum creatinine presentation was about 1.5. Mm. Okay. And when you got the renal biopsy, what did that look like? Right. So uh, we nobody was really surprised to find active lupus nephritis. Mm -hmm. So we had full house glomerular immune complex deposition. And histologically, there was evidence of glomerular activity in the form of endocapillary hypercellularity and focal crescent formation. So it was consistent with the class three focal uh, lupus nephritis. So, mm -hmm. uh, But really what was interesting about this biopsy was that uh, this patient had uh, apical brush border staining for IgG kappa and lambda focally within occasional tubules. And of course, there was significant other extra glomerular staining, which you do expect in lupus as a background type of mm, thing, right? So yeah. staining along the granular staining along the tubular basement membranes, et cetera. And of course, the, the glomeruli were, were, they had quite a bit of immune complex deposition. So did you stain for LRP2 at that point? Or what sort of pushed you over the edge to doing the stain? So, um, you know, other, I would not have suspected this um, as a disease entity without the presence of the apical brush border staining. Okay. So that's really identifying that was critical in this case, okay. which prompted me to order the LRP2 stain. Um, and the way we, of course, utilize the stain is, you know, we look for uh, the presence of the uh, anti-LRP2 antibody along the tubular basement membranes because, mm -hmm. the, of course, the normal internal control is the apical brush border staining, which we expect because that's the endogenous, that's the native location of the protein. But when it gets transcytosed to the tubular basement membrane, that's that ectopic uh, presence of that protein along the tubular basement membrane is diagnostic. Okay. So this was really striking to find in a patient with lupus nephritis. How did he do after the biopsy? Right. So he was initially treated with a combination of MMF and uh, prednisone um, and was discharged and was doing better. Uh, however, he returns about two weeks later, about 18 days later, with worsening renal function. Now serum creatinine is about 1.9, mm -hmm. suggesting that there's really uh, no good response to at least you know, in the kidney function realm um, to this treatment, at which point they, they increased this therapy. They, they um, uh, decided to switch from MMF to cyclophosphamide, but they continued the corticosteroids. Mm -hmm. And then after that, the patient improved dramatically. Uh, renal function returned to baseline. And we also ran uh, serologic studies, direct immunofluorescence, both at the time of biopsy and later to assess the titer of the uh, of the anti-LRP2. Um, and we found that it was, at the beginning, it was weakly positive, And then ultimately at the end, about five months later, it was completely negative. So the patient uh, entirely, it was a complete response once cyclophosphamide was initiated. Wow. And that's rare for patients with this, right? They don't always respond to treatment. From what we know so far, this disease has an incredibly poor outcome and it's very aggressive. So most people will lead will uh, go to end-stage renal disease within a year following diagnosis of this entity. And there's 
you know, a number of treatment attempts have been made. Uh, most of them have been uh, unit therapy with either corticosteroids or rituximab or MMF. Um, however, there was one patient in Dr. Larson's series who mm-hmm. did respond. In that patient, they use a combination of prednisone and cyclophosphamide, mm. which is the same combination used in this patient. So it appears that this is, this is at least, to my understanding, the second known case of this disease that responded to therapy, and the therapy really appears to be cyclophosphamide-dependent. Overall, why did you really want to get this case report out there? Right. So for a number of reasons. So first of all, it's, it's an example that uh, this disease can happen in non-elderly individuals, in mm-hmm. folks that are younger. So this, this gentleman was 55 years old, and typically the mean is 73 years old. So that's the first thing. Uh, second thing is that it's, you know, it's present you know, as a component of polyautoimmunity. So you have lupus nephritis, and then you also have this disease, uh, anti-brush border antibody disease hiding in the background of lupus. Yeah. And it's really difficult to diagnose, the, you know, especially because the extra glomerular staining on immunofluorescence is lupus is so busy, as mm-hmm. we all know. Uh, and actually, that, the presence of extra glomerular staining has a high sensitivity and specificity for lupus itself. But the presence of, of anti-brush border staining or apical brush border staining is really what tipped me off to the presence. So, you know, this makes me wonder if, if it's present more commonly in lupus patients. You know, as we know, about 35% of patients that have one autoimmune disease will also have another autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. And we see tons and tons of lupus. So this, at least to my mind, has, you know, increased my index of suspicion for, for this disease on the background of lupus. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it reminds us all to look very carefully in the extra glomerular compartments and not just focus on the gloms. Yes. in autoimmune disease when diagnosing. So it's very likely underdiagnosed at this point. So raising awareness is a great thing. Yeah, and I think it's there's low awareness both between the clinicians and pathologists about mm-hmm. the presence of the disease. There's only, you know, like I said, only a few case reports. It was originally histologically described back in the mid-80s and then forgotten about for about 35 years until it reemerged in a case report in 2016. And then this prompted... Um, actually quite a bit of work by our boss, Dr. Larson, who went on to, you know, help identify the antigen, this LRP2 megalin protein. And then that ultimately led to the first small case series of the dozen patients that I, patients that I talked about. So really, we don't know much about it. It's a relatively new entity, uh, new in quotes. It's been around. It just hasn't been recognized. So, you know, I think you know, I think that this case report sort of helps remind all of us about the presence of the disease. Actually, I think it, it broadens its histologic spectrum and, and how it may present in younger patients and also on the background of other autoimmune disease. Well, thank you. It's such important work to get out there. So thanks for coming on and discussing your paper. For more research happenings at Arcana Laboratories and any other information, please visit us online at arcanalabs.com or follow us on Twitter at Arcana Labs. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Rebecca May underscore RP. So Dr. Z, how can people reach you if they have any questions or, or anything else they want to discuss with you about this research? Sure, you can uh, call me at Arcana Labs. be happy to discuss. Also, you can email me and my emails on the paper. Great. Well, thank you so much.
Thank you for listening. This podcast and more can be found in the iTunes store. For more information and educational programming like this, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or visit us on the web at arcanalabs.com.